<sighs> what time is it? It's after 10. Bună ziua! Parabinas, satakonosk. Binatvenit. So, good day. It's good to see all, meet all of you this morning, and uh, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, if it was in the morning, which is before 10 o'clock, it would be Buna Diminatza, but see, you guys are the late, later crowd, so you get good day. Um, we've been in Romania for over 18 years, and uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's crazy because um, it just dawns on me and Cynthia a lot of times because our kids are all giants now. Um, they take after their mom's side um, because my parents are like teeny little people and, uh, and just getting shorter as they get older. And, uh, and uh, it's like all of a sudden you turn around and you're like, wow, they're like getting out of like working their way out of high school. And you're, and you're just like, it, it's just crazy. And I remember uh, I was talking to my mom like when we first started having kids and she's like, don't blink because they go that quick. And we're like, oh, okay, whatever. It is absolutely true. So for those of you that are new parents, don't blink because it goes absolutely so quick. And you turn around and you're like, what just happened? And why do I have so much white hair? <laughs> it's like, and uh, so, you know, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Revelation chapter three. That's where we'll be this morning. And, um, you know, don't you, have you ever had it where you, maybe you've read through a section of scripture and you've done it like a hundred different times. And then all of a sudden, it especially resonates with you due to the season that you find yourself in or to the situation that you find in. It just, God just basically speaks in a new way. And you're just like, wow, Lord, that is so amazing. And, um, our church this last year, we started working our way through the book of Revelation. We just finished up the book of Daniel the, over the summer, and it just felt like the Lord was like, you know what, Daniel, Revelation, they kind of are bookends together, and it really just feels like that's something that we should do as a church. And I hadn't taught the book of Revelation on a Sunday, and well, I hadn't taught the book of Revelation for like 10 years in our church, and it never had done it on a Sunday that I remember. And so we just started working our way through the book of Revelation, and we got to the letters of the churches. And one of my favorite letters is the letter that Jesus writes to the church of Philadelphia. You know, city of brotherly love, and named so due to the devotion that one brother had for another. And historically, it's interesting that the city was established to make it a center for spreading Greek culture and language throughout all the Asian provinces and beyond. It was a missional city. And we found ourselves in this letter, and it's one of those two churches, when you study the churches that Jesus writes to here in Revelation, where Jesus has zero correction for them. They're not doing anything wrong. And, and as you examine the church, it's, it's, for me personally, it's like, Lord, this is what I want for my church. You know, this is what I want for my own life, where you can look at this, it's like, you're doing things good. You're doing things great. I got nothing bad to say. And it's something that we should want to pursue, right? And as a church, we find ourselves in this letter around the time when Russia decides to attack our neighbor, Ukraine. Um, for those of you that don't know, we live in the city of Bystrica, which is in north-central Romania. And depending on which road you take, we're about three and a half hours away from the Ukrainian border. And 
you know, initially there's a lot of scrambling because we are a very small church. There's a lot of scrambling to try to figure out, okay, <laughs> never been, you know, there's a lot of news for us. It's like never done a refugee thing at all. Never been in an area where there's war, you know, those are all new on the scale of uh, things that you deal with as a church. And it was just trying to figure out how do we help? Like, how, what is this going to look like for us, Lord? And, and this letter that we are looking at this morning, it was instrumental in reminding me that the mission of the church is always the same. It's to proclaim the gospel message and to make disciples of all nations. However, as a church, we need to be ready to adapt and step through doors of opportunity that the Lord may give us that maybe have never been on our radar before. They're way out of our comfort zone. The challenge is always, how do we deal with those opportunities when the Lord gives us? How do we react to them? Right? And so Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, says it this way. It says, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Jesus, of course, identifies himself as the one who is holy and true. And when you think of that word holy, hopefully you have some picture that comes to your mind. In many church circles, holiness is a matter of keeping a certain set of rules of conduct. They usually revolve around tobacco and alcohol or dancing or dating girls that do those things. Maybe movies, none of which is prohibited by scripture. If you were to ask this question to your average Romanian, it's like, well, what is holiness to you? They would say, well, I know what that looks like. That's a priest that spends their entire life serving on a monastery with other priests. I've seen that. I can go there. I visit it all the time. In Jesus' time, people, if they were asked this question, they're like, well, I know what that looks like. That's a Pharisee. Those separated ones who were the best at keeping all of the rules and the regulations, and they're considered holy. And yet, if we look at the life of Jesus... He didn't meet the cultural definition of holiness in his time. He made a habit of spending time with and sharing meals with those that no Pharisee would risk touching in the street. And Jesus is the most holy person that's ever lived. Being being holy in our conduct, you know, we have to take away things like sexual immorality, Impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from our mouth. But we also add things to our life like compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. 
Holiness, as the Bible shows us, is a product of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He indwells me and he enables me to live a holy life. He produces me in me his fruit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And Jesus embodies all of those things. He's not only, tr- he's not only holy, but he is true. And you could also understand this as saying that he's genuine or he's authentic. And authentic is important, especially as an expat who's not lived in America for 18 plus years. When we want Mexican food, you have to come here. (laughs) I am serious. We have a restaurant in a city about four hours south of us. It is a Romanian-Mexican restaurant. It is good. I'm not saying it's not bad. I hope that they don't shut down. But it is not Mexican food. It's not authentic. It's not, it's not coming and knowing and eating something where someone's lived here their whole life and they know what it should taste like. There is a difference between cilantro and parsley. <laughs> they look the same, but one is not a substitute for the other. Can I get an amen? Amen. Right? It's true. It's true. Jesus is authentic, and he's ultimately what we all desire. God places before this church an open door, and it's a continuous open door. Why does he do that? Well, he gives us a couple reasons. He says, because you've kept my word and have not denied my name. And as a church, that should be our goal. Maintaining a faithful testimony in word and in actions. And because of that, they were prepared for this next opportunity that the Lord was setting before them. The city was named after the love and devotion of two brothers. We don't know what the atmosphere of the city was at this time. But see, this letter was never written to the city This letter was written to the church in the city. And as a church, we're to be holy and genuine and demonstrate what true brotherly love is to look like. Jesus, talking with his disciples, said it this way. He says, look, your love and your devotion to one another, that is going to mark us as distinct from this world. It's going to mark you as my followers. This church was given an open door because the church was just being the church, separate, authentic, and loving one another. And a church that makes that a part of their DNA, that's, that is a church that can adapt while still fulfilling the Great Commission. Whatever the Lord has before them, they can say, yeah, we're going to do that. This doesn't mean perfection. Rather, it's about being honest in, in, in the process of becoming more like Jesus, an authentic Christian. We don't pretend to be perfect. The world doesn't need that. But what they do need is they need people that are quick to admit when they mess up and are getting back in step with Jesus and are quick to be gracious with other people. Did you notice that this opportunity, it has nothing to do with their strength? In fact, Jesus says, he says, look, I know that you have little strength. 
It wasn't because they were powerful or influential and had all these connections in the city. It wasn't because they were large in number of people or had an amazing celebrity pastor like you guys do. They were just small. They were small in number. They were small in influence. They were just small. Nothing about them made the people think, well, of course that's why they're being used. Look at how good they are. No, they were small. And yet God has a habit throughout Scripture of championing things that others would dismiss. God loves using imperfect and significant things in the eyes of this world to accomplish amazing things through the power of His Spirit And this is why this is so important for us. Because what this means is, is that God can and desires to use anybody. You don't have to be special. God's like, I don't need special. I just need you. I need you to be willing. Problem, of course, is is that how do we react when God gives us those opportunities, right? When God put something before us or God is stirring something in our hearts and we you know how do we react to that you know do we go through and do we check our personal inventory which is usually something like this like Lord well I just don't have the finances for that right now Lord I don't have the time to do that Lord I'll wait till I retire and then I'll do it or I'll wait till the kids are out of college and then I'll do it or whatever it is fill in the blank It doesn't matter because, because how many opportunities do we miss out on because we focus on the wrong thing? Instead of focusing on God's limitless power, we look to our own strength. See, God acknowledges this. He says, look, I know you have little strength. I know that this world looks at you and they're like, there's nothing special about you. He goes, but I I know exactly who you are. I know exactly where you are. I know exactly what's going on in your life. And I'm still putting this in your heart because I want to give you this opportunity. I've prepared you for this. You see, when we think about this, we can be quick to be like, well, you know what? I just don't know. But I want you to think, let me give you, just think about this for a second. How many different relationships has God throughout the history of your family brought together to make you uniquely you? There's only one of you. There's only one of you with your gifts, with your skills, with your personality, all of those things knitted together to make you you. And it's like, it's like you can lead worship, just like our friend up here, but you know what? Your worship, you can sing the same exact song, but it will be different because it's you because God's knitted you that way and he says I've made you uniquely you so that you can walk through this opportunity that I've prepared for you so that you can speak into this person's life in a way that no one else can someone might still say well I I don't know about that well listen to what David says 
Psalms 139, 13 through 16, David says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book was written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. David was a shepherd. He was a special forces soldier. He was a hero. He was a poet and a king. And here he acknowledges, he says, God, you were shaping me into who I was going to be before I was ever born. You had my days written before me before I ever entered into this world. God has a plan for you. He's been preparing you for it. And he's inviting you to walk through it, whether that's on a little scale or a big scale. He's just simply putting it before you saying, I really want you to do this. An open door can also show us what kind of insecurities we have. It can show us, it can reveal prejudices maybe that we didn't know were there, or even spiritual blind spots that we were unaware of. And sometimes, you know, especially in this day and age, it's like, well, I'm not prejudiced, but I want you to understand something. There's only one person in the entire history of humanity that can actually honestly say that he was not prejudiced, and that was Jesus. Because if we're honest, every one of us have those people in our life. Do you know what I mean by those people? Those people that make us uncomfortable. Those people that when we see them coming down the street in Mountain Home and we're on the sidewalk, all of a sudden we have a very deep and unique need to go to the store and hide in it while they pass. Because we have something important there like socks to buy. Every one of us have Gentiles and Samaritans in our life. Every one of us do. And God still wants to use us. Open doors ultimately show us where our confidence is. And I love this example in the Old Testament. It's in Numbers chapter 13. We'll pick it up in verse 27. The story is this, is that the Israelites, God brings them to the edge of the promised land. He's getting ready to take them into the promised land. And then they decide, hey, we need to send some spies in to just kind of check things out. And so they send in 12 spies, and these 12 spies go into the land, and they survey it, and they come back with a report. And this is what they say in verse 27. And then they told them and said, we went into the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So they had show and tell. They brought something back. Nevertheless, the people who dwell there in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Verse 30, I love Caleb. Then Caleb quieted the people from Moses, before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Verse 33, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants. And notice the focus here, the confidence. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in their sight. 
See, God brings the people to the edge of the promised land. They send in 12 spies. They come back after surveying the land, and they agree. They're like, man, it is exactly like God promised. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. We actually brought some stuff back. Enjoy it. It's wonderful. Big, giant grapes the size of basketballs. But then there's this word in there, nevertheless. Now, for you parents who've had kids, your kids probably don't use that word nevertheless, but maybe they use a word similar to it called but. <laughs> and as parents, you know that when your kids are saying something and they're like, da, 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 but you, you, you realize, okay, I need to ignore everything that was just said because the excuse is coming right afterwards, you know, but they pushed my buttons, you know, and there's a but here. You see, because they, it means like, yeah, it flows with milk and honey, but none of that matters because the land is full of giants. There's fortresses, there's armies. And then did you notice where they were looking to, where their focus was, what their ultimate confidence was in? It was in themselves. They said, we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. Now, were they, were they mistaken in, in, in saying that? No, because they were like grasshoppers. But they discounted who was with them, which was the Lord. At best, it's an exaggeration. At worst, it was a lie, and it poisoned the people. There's two guys out of the 12 saw exactly all of the same things, and yet their conclusion was very different. They said, no, we need to go now. Now is the time. Right now, we need to leave. We need to go. Because they had forgotten all the things that the Lord had done before them to prepare them for this. God had basically given them food. He'd given them water. He'd given them meat. He had given them protection. There were times where in the very beginning, he said, look, they're not ready for war. So instead of going through the Philistines land, we're going to go around it because I don't want them to lose heart because they're not ready for that. And, he, and then God looks at him and he goes, you guys are prepared now for war. You guys are prepared for the next step. All of these things leading up into your life, all of these steps have prepared you for this moment. You just didn't realize it. And 10 out of the 12 just said, nope, not going to do it. And yet two of them came to a different conclusion. There are many doors in life that will ask us how much faith do we have in God? But see, the question's never phrased that way. It's always phrased like this. Do I think that I can do this? Shifting the focus from a person that has never, ever failed you to the person, if we're honest, we fail all the time. We live in a world that is deeply divided. People are always asking, like, why is it so splintered? Why is it like this? It's not just here. It's everywhere. But what that means is instead of getting, like, people get disgruntled and they get upset about it, we need to understand, it's like, there is no greater opportunity for the church to be the church than right now. Because the Lord needs the church to simply be the church and Keep the main thing the main thing. Where we're known for our love and our devotion to one another and where we hold on the truth of the gospel and we hold on to our neighbor and we stubbornly refuse to let go of either. 
Because that's what God did for you and for us. He pursued you. He worked through someone. If you think back in your life, there was someone that God used to speak to you about the gospel for the first time. Someone looked at you and God said, there's an opportunity to step through. And they did it. And they were really awkward probably. And they're like, man, this is going to be uncomfortable. What's this person going to think about with me? But they did it anyway. They stepped out in faith and they introduced you to a God who is crazy in love with you. And that's what, the, that's what God has called his church to do, is to be a place where there's no walls, there's no division, there's no hatred, there's simply people who come from all walks of life who find their unity in Jesus because he's more than sufficient to hold it all together. Nothing else will. Where we can go to people and we can say, look, I'm a complete idiot but my future is bright and it is freely available to anybody. And I've seen this in a small way through what's happening across the border. You see, across the border, there's a city. It's about five hours from us driving. And it's the city of Trinus. The city's about 300,000. And it has a lot of refugees that are fleeing to it and that are coming through it because Russia's not there right now, so it's one of the popular places to be. In that city, there are Romanian and Ukrainian churches that are working together to serve and help people that most of which don't know Jesus personally. There's churches there that like, well, we have a big kitchen so we can cook food. This other place is like, well, we have a big storage room so we can store clothes there for them. This other place is like, well, we have a university and we have a big spot down the bottom to store food to basically run into hostile areas with volunteers in vans with no guns, just a flak jacket. And they're all working together. And while we can sit there and be like, oh, well, that's cool. You don't, if you don't understand the history, it, it doesn't make much sense to you. You have to realize that in World War II, Germany took over Romania. And if you weren't Jewish and you weren't a minority, like a gypsy, it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. I talked to people in our church that, had, that either were around small children or had grandparents that tell them the story. The worst thing that ever happened was when Russia came and liberated Romania. And most of the soldiers that did the liberating were Ukrainian. And they basically went through and ransacked and destroyed and everything you could imagine happened. And Romanians don't forget that. See, Romania has just been out from underneath communism since about 1989. Their memory is not that short where they don't remember what it was like and they have no intention of going back. And yet you have these churches that are serving together, unified in Jesus, and helping people. The history doesn't matter because Jesus is there. And you, more than so, you have Pentecostals and Baptists that are sitting in the same room and no one's throwing chairs. And it's amazing because I've been in the meetings and there's no turfy, weird stuff like it's like, well, you know, you're not that. We don't agree. Because everybody in, in Romania, culturally, is like, we're the one true church. If you're Eastern Orthodox, we're the one true church. If I'm Pentecostal, I'm the one true church. Everybody else is heretics. If I'm Baptist, I'm the one true church. That, it's just kind of the mentality there. 
Here, there's an anomaly where you got a bunch of churches working together and there's none of that going on and they're doing an amazing thing and we get to be a part of it, just a piece where we're, we get to help and, and bring stuff across that they desperately need. And it's the church simply being the church stepping through the door that the Lord has opened for them and doing an amazing thing. And it's all of these little churches. When you think about what's going on in Ukraine, you need to understand something. It's all little organizations and little churches that don't get very much money compared to the big spectrum of what's going on over there. And they're doing amazing things with what the Lord gives them. Then it's like loaves and fishes. It's like, Lord, just... Just help us just keep going. Just keep going. And they're the ones that are driving into these areas and getting shot at and all these other things because they want to help people and they're trying to get people out. But when we do this step of faith, you need to understand something. When we go through this opportunity, there's always going to be uncertainty and there's always going to be resistance. Did you notice when we read that, that it never tells us what the open door was? The church knew what it was. We don't. We can speculate maybe what it was, but we don't know what the door was. Truth be told, most doors don't ever, when you're stepping out of faith, most doors never come with a neon flashing sign on them saying, go through this. And if you're waiting for that, let me give you some advice just step through because it's never going to be a sure thing. Otherwise, it doesn't require faith. And God's never going to give you 10 steps. He's never worked that way in my life or our family's life. It's always, here's the next step. And then when you do that one, here's the next step. Because God is like, I'm more interested in being with you in this process and working through these things than just letting you figure it out 10 steps at ahead. And because it's all about relationship. You should also know, though, that any time that you choose to do things in the Spirit, there's always going to be confrontation. Satan is not going to sit there and just let somebody, he's like, oh, well, you know, I lost that one. No, he's going to try, number one, to stop you from ever going through the door, and then he's going to fight you the entire time that you're doing it. Because that's what he does. You know, listen to what Jesus said to this church. He says, indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come to worship before your feet and to know what I, that I have loved you. You see, when, I, when we step out in faith, there's always going to be opposition. Philadelphia was going to have conflict. Now, it wasn't that they hadn't had conflict, but there was some kind of an organization to this because Jesus calls it a synagogue of Satan, and they were resisting them. And he's like, it's not going to go away. But you win in the end. Amen. Did you get that part? You win. Because God is never going to punish you for stepping out of faith. He may redirect you, but he's never going to say, you're an idiot. I can't use that. Apostle Paul writes it this way in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. He says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide, effective door has been opened for me and there are many adversaries. Opportunity will always meet conflict. 
The door is said to be placed in front of them. You know what you don't read there? It doesn't, God doesn't say, I'm going to make you walk through it. I've, he simply says, I've placed this opportunity before you. I'm asking you to walk through it and to trust me. Which brings us back to like, where is my confidence ultimately? And where is my focus at? How do we have courage to walk through the doors of opportunity that God gives us? When we have little strength. I mean, because it's honest, it's like, it's like we're more like Philadelphia than we realize many times. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 1. It's going to answer this question for us. Joshua is taking over leadership of the nation of Israel. This is the second time that God brings him to the edge of the promised land <clears throat> after 40 years. I love how God says this to Joshua, verse 2, chapter 1. Moses, my servant, is dead. Congratulations, Joshua. You just got promoted. Now, therefore, rise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. No man shall stand before you all the days of your life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go this book of the law will not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make you for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success have I not commanded you? Verse 9, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God tells Joshua, I want you to go through this door, Joshua. You need to muster your strength. You need to rally your courage. You need to be strong. Joshua, you're going to be challenged. You're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be frustrated. And there's going to be times where you're going to be legitimately scared. But I want you to be brave when you face those things. So what do you do to summon that strength? What do we do? Where do I get courage? If I have little strength, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Three times God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous, followed by twice reminding him why he should be strong and courageous. God simply says this. He says, I will be with you and I will not forsake you. Our house in Bastritza has a basement. And our kids, every one of them growing up, have been scared of going down into the basement to get anything we ask them. And we have heard every excuse it's like, hey, can you go down in the basement and get me this? No. Why? Because there's monsters. Caden, you're 20 years old. <laughs> there's no monsters down there. You know, if you ask the girls, it's like, can you go down in the basement? And they're like, no. Why? Because there's spiders. There's not that many. <laughs> you know, there's rats. There's mice. If you name it, we, over the years, we've heard every reason why they do not like to go down in the basement. And growing up, we could have, and we have tried many different ways to, to get them to venture down there, to get past this. You know, we, we tried as parents, 
the good logical argument is like, look, there's a light switch, there's stairs, there's no problems, there's nothing down there. I've been down there multiple times. Just go down there. And as a 10-year-old, they'll listen. They're like, yep, okay, no, not going down there. You know, and then you could, you know, maybe try a super spiritual approach and say, you know what, God doesn't want you to be afraid. God doesn't want you to be afraid. He just, just go down there. You cannot convince an eight-year-old that even if God doesn't want them to be afraid, to go down into a basement they don't want to. They're like, okay, that sounds great. Still no. The last thing you can do is you can try compassion. I know what it's like to be afraid, and I'll walk with you down into the basement, and we'll do this together. That one works. See, God told Joshua, I will be with you wherever you go. Fear not. You know, and Jesus, interestingly enough, said the exact same words when he sent the 11 disciples out into all the nations. He he didn't say to them, do not be afraid. He said, I will be with you always, even to the ends of the world. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. You are never going to be an orphan. You muster your courage by realizing that God is with you as you walk through the doors of opportunity, doors that he has already prepared for you because you're uniquely you and you're the best one for the job. And also he goes before you because he's like, I've already been there. I already know what's going to happen. You don't, but I do. And you're perfect for the job. And if you read through the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, you know what you see? You see a lot of these amazing men of God that we like to say, oh my goodness, Apostle John, Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, all of these guys. And yet all they did was walk through doors of opportunity that God had already been preparing them for and just said, here, here's a door. They walked through it. Something amazing happens. Here's a door. They walked through it. Their entire book of Acts is simply apostles stepping out of faith through doors of opportunity that, the God, that God put before them and churches are planted, people are saved, and lives are changed. Amen. That's all it is. And there were times where, you know what? They needed to be encouraged, even the apostle Paul. There were times where apostle Paul had to have Jesus show up personally and say, Paul, come on, buddy. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. There's, I have many people in this city that you have to introduce to me. Step out of faith. Keep speaking. Don't worry about this. You're not going to get smashed in the face this time. Come on, Paul. Let's get on it. Let's do it. I don't know what opportunities God has placed before you. I don't know what God is stirring in your hearts to do for his kingdom. I don't know how I do, I don't know how he wants to work in you and through you to make a difference in someone's life. But I want to encourage you to do this. Simply do this. Say God, I'm open to you changing my plans. This is what I want to do, but if you have a different plan, Lord, I'm open to you doing that. I'm going to give you permission to interrupt me. I do know that every one of Jesus' disciples 
Every one of them never regret what they went through. And you need to understand this. We're still Jesus' disciples. The Great Commission still applies to us. Every person in this room that calls themselves a follower of Jesus, guess what? You're a disciple. You are a follower of Jesus, and you're also a missionary. Now, that may look local in the city of Mountain Home, or it may be that God's calling you to somewhere else, but nobody gets out of it. God's like, look, I put you here for a purpose, whether it's big or small. All I'm asking is for you to step out in faith and follow me. Where we get to reach people who are dead in their trespasses and enslaved to their sin to say, you know what? I was just like you. I was drowning and Jesus rescued me. And I would love to introduce you to the one that rescued me. He can save you. He is more than sufficient to deal with whatever stuff's going on in your life. And he will because he loves you and he's crazy about you. And so we need to let the church be the church and walk by faith through the opportunities that God gives each and every one of us. Can we do that? Can everybody stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this this morning. We thank you, God, that you love working in and through imperfect vessels, and that, God, your desire is to partner with us and get us involved in your mission. And I pray, God, that we would be people that would respond and say, Lord, I give you permission to interrupt whatever's going on in my life. I give you permission, Lord, to change my plans, whether it's tomorrow, next week, or a month from now. I just want to be open to what you have for me. And we're so thankful for that, Lord. Lord, we know that you love us. You love us more than we could possibly imagine. And you just want to have that close relationship with us so that we can introduce people to your family. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you.